0: breakfast on SEO.
1: Thanks for joining us this morning. We're really fortunate to have a couple of special guests live in the studio. One we know really well, that is Paul Marsh, the CEO of the AFL Players Association. Paul, thank you to you for stopping by. G'day, Cornsy
0: and Phil. How are
1: you? And you are joined by a very impressive man by the name of Tony Clark. He's the MLB Players Association Executive Director in the country as part of the Australian Athletes Alliance and World Players Association Conferences on Women's Sport, um, which sees the broader Players Association movement, which has spread rapidly around the globe, especially in the last 15 to 20 years. Tony, welcome and thank you for your time.
2: Good day. Good morning, gentlemen.
1: Just been doing a little bit of, of reading about yourself, Tony. Couldn't couldn't be more impressed. No, take, don't believe take, all, don't take, believe everything you read. <laughs> well, don't believe everything. Us, give, it, give us an insight into into you. you. You played professional Major League Baseball for 16 years, largely with the Detroit Lions, but you went all over the place in the end. And give us a bit of your backstory.
2: Uh, yeah, actually, I was a a basketball player uh, that uh, thought that that was the route I was going to go. Uh, my first sport was tennis. So I started out as a youngster thinking that was actually the way I was going to go. Baseball was something that I picked up a little bit later. Uh, Was fortunate enough uh, to play college basketball, but at the same time get drafted for baseball out of high school. Uh, so I would go go to school in the fall, play collegiate basketball all the way through the, the spring semester, and then during the summer play minor league baseball. series of injuries, ended up playing and trying baseball full-time. A year and a half later, I was in the big leagues. And so it's, it's less of a, a straight line and direct route, but, but very grateful for the opportunities and experiences that I've had. And came on board, uh, the PA after uh, the Players Association, after... I retired in 09 the, the following year alongside my predecessor uh, and Michael Weiner, God rest his soul. We, we lost him uh, three years after I came on board and uh, the players determined uh, that my role should change and I should succeed him. And uh, through the ups and downs over the course of the last 11, 12 years, I've uh, have been the executive director for the PA.
3: So Tony, what brings you to Australia? Tell us a bit about, we, we understand why you're here, but let the audience know what brought you out to Australia.
2: Uh, each year we, we get together as a part of the World Players Association and, uh, and work through a, a number of, of issues that are front and center for uh, all of the affiliates, uh, as was highlighted in the intro, uh, a, a literally a global conglomerate of sports unions coming together. Uh, and working alongside one another to continue and to, to, to forward the, the well-being and, and, uh, and rights of our, our respective players and the movement in general. And so that combined uh, with the AAA uh, uh, conference, an opportunity to, to, to finally make the trip uh, uh, back to Australia, but first time in Melbourne, uh, where again over the course of this week we've had an opportunity to sit in a room and go through any number of things. Uh, that will invariably be beneficial for us to to imply or impart uh, individually uh, and and create the or continue the movement that we're 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 all committed to more globally.
3: so Paul obviously from a from a uh, AFL plays association point of view, what what kind of topics do you pick the mind of Tony on and try to get some insights in? and because oh, he gets seized like you on being a director of the world plays Association and on the Australian Alliance of associations. What are you, insights are you trying to get out of Tony when you've got him here? This is a great resource for us to have in the country and from a players' association point of view. What kind of things are you trying to get out of him? Yeah,
0: I mean, I've been really fortunate to um, have had exposure to Tony and, and, and the rest of the team um, over a number of years, but it's always good to see what's changing, um, what they're working on. I think they're always probably a little bit ahead of what we're seeing in, in this country, so, you know, we've spent a lot of time this week talking about Particularly about female sport, um, but also, you know, where the commercial landscape is going in um, in America and how that might apply to us. Um, the core topics around collective bargaining and organizing. That's always part of our discussion. Play development and well-being. It's it's really about seeing what is changing, where are the opportunities to better collaborate, and I think this week has been the highlight for for me. Particularly, has been around okay, well, how can we work more closely together. Um, with our brothers and sisters around the world to actually do a better job for our players here, but but everywhere. So it's been a great week so far.
1: What, what specific areas are they ahead in, Paul?
0: Oh, I mean, I think, um, you know, you look at the Major League Baseball collective bargaining agreement as an example. Um, I think they're the gold standard in, in many respects, and Tony can probably talk to a bit of that. Um, you know, I think... They've been going for longer. They have pioneered this space. Um, the commercial part of their business is, is well ahead of where we're at. And we've been picking their brains this week around, you know, how we may learn and, and work with them. So there's some, there's certainly some areas there. Um, you know, we, there's all of our spaces are very issue rich and it's always good to compare notes around how we might deal with different things that we, that we're all working through. So there's lots there to, to learn from these guys, to uh, Cornsy.
1: Because Tony, the, your game hasn't been without its challenges. I mean, is it still appealing to, to younger people? Is it is it still as entertaining as it was? What's the role of the home run? There's been significant rule changes, bigger bases, the, the pitch shot clock, which has been a success as far as I've read. You've restricted where some of the fieldsmen can stand. What sort of shape is the game in and what challenges have you faced?
2: I think we're pointed in the right direction. Uh, you are 100% correct to suggest that it uh, it hasn't been devoid of its challenges. Uh, our game uh, is one that uh, likely shifted too far in the direction uh, that was uh, not conducive to, to young people taking the time to sit through it or understand it. Um, and so uh, the adjustments that have been made over the years, uh, most tangibly over the last uh, year or so, uh, have seemingly been beneficial. Uh, teams are adjusting. Players did a fantastic job uh, of adjusting. Um, but we didn't get to where we were overnight. Uh, and despite some of the the conversations that have been had over the last decade plus, uh, it was – taking a little while to, to turn the Titanic, but I, I think we're in a in a better place now, at least from the standpoint of some of the adjustments that have been made. But as I mentioned, the, the most tangible ones, and you highlighted a few of them, have literally been in the last year. And so uh, we're, we're, we're taking a little bit of a, a wait and see, adjust accordingly, but much of, of of the next conversation I think is going to be how to engage the next generation on the ground floor, not just at the the Major League level, but how to engage the next generation of prospective fans and ball players uh, and meet them where they are such that the system they come through and the interest that they have in understanding the game and the work that needs to be done uh, uh, on the field as well as off it is something that's more tangible to them in front and center. Paul often talks, Tony, we speak about being in collaboration and working
3: with the AFL, the home body, Mm -hmm. Listening to you speak there, how important is the role that... you know? Obviously, when we talk about negotiations, it's players versus HQ. But yet, when you talk about those kind of things, how important is it to be aligned? And that's the thing that we really should be pushing forward to, is that we listen to HQ as players, but the HQ listen to players, and we can build the game together. How important is that, what you've seen not only in MLB, but world sport across the whole globe?
2: I think in an ideal scenario, you've got everyone sitting at the table and pointing the same direction. Uh, oftentimes the the well-being of the game takes a backseat to the business of the game. And a, as you know, as, as players, uh, we are, are intend to be stewards of the game, we protect it. Uh, even if we make some decisions that aren't always ideal, uh, the game is something that we've committed our lives to from the time that we were knee high to a table and we want to protect it. Um, the business of the game doesn't always align with uh, protecting the game itself and so uh, ideally you do find yourself in a room and, and, and share uh, sharing of ideas that that can move things in the right direction but uh, unfortunately uh, there are often times still where uh, you're not pointed the same direction and you don't have the same interests at hand and and there are some fundamental misses and so uh, uh, those misses manifest themselves oftentimes at the bargaining table those misses manifest themselves as a part of uh, PR and media but Uh, I will never apologize for protecting the integrity of the game and protecting the well-being and advancing the rights of the players and to the extent that that there's a working party on the other side that's interested in the same thing or something similar, we'll get there.
1: Tony Clark is the MLB Players Association Executive Director, joined live in the studio by the AFL Players Association CEO, Paul Marsh. Uh, Tony, you've been really strong in pushing back on some of the owners that want to introduce a salary cap. Now, it's, it's unique for us because... I think some of your teams, their payroll is you know, in the 300s of millions where other teams can spend a fraction of that. Um, how is the debate around whether or not to have a salary cap? Because you think those wages that the players earn should be celebrated, I guess, not, and not punished.
2: Yeah, for, for us, and, and I recognize and respect wholeheartedly that the, the games themselves are a little different. Um, how the clubs are positioned may be a little different. For, for us, a, a salary cap is the ultimate restriction on uh, player salaries. And so the challenge that we often run into uh, is the public perception versus the reality. And what I mean by that is, as a result of collusion uh, in our industry going back to the late 80s uh, and uh, the subsequent result of, of that uh, award coming out of those collusion uh, uh grievances uh meaning that the league was found to have literally colluded to, to push down player salaries we gained access to information confidential information audited information uh in regards to the clubs and so we're aware of um the actual information associated with the well-being of any one particular club uh that means that uh, with that information um although it's confidential, uh, the positions that we otherwise take um, are ones that uh, are supportive of that information. And and I say it that way because we can't offer publicly the information that we have in regards to how teams are situated. So a team can come out and say it's not capable of XYZ. Mm -hmm. We know that not to be true. Uh, And so uh, I'm not suggesting that there isn't a difference between the market in 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 the United States, in New York, versus a market in in somewhere else. Uh, I'm not saying that's not the case. What I am saying is there are different ways to balance the difference. And so as a part of the revenue-sharing plan that we do have, the dollars that are otherwise uh, moved based on market size and based on local revenue to other teams, uh, there is a bit more of a balancing act there and in place uh, that we don't think requires a salary cap. Uh, we also want to put teams in a position uh, to reward them for performing well. Uh, sometimes that performing well can be in the form of, of revenue, additional revenue that they can have access to as a result of performing well. Uh, oftentimes it can be having access to the next generation of talent, um, such that you get additional draft picks or you're, you're positioned in a way where uh, as a result of that performance, you're you're getting additional revenue and draft picks uh, in the in an upcoming draft to fill your your system such that you can develop them accordingly. And so there are different levers within our our economic system that we believe help to balance, uh, uh, things a little bit more than the perception of if team A is spending $100 and team B is mm. spending $100 there's competitive balance and, and, and competitive integrity there we're trying to maintain the competitive integrity and our game itself has had so many different winners uh, and playoff teams over the course of the last two decades that truly it's, it's there are more winners and more different winners in our sport than in any other cap sports uh, so mm. it's, it's an interesting dynamic but our our system is a little bit different and we just don't believe that a cap is necessary
1: so Paul how, how do you respond to that we all understand the ownership structure is, is completely different but one of the things Tony said was a salary cap is the ultimate restriction on player value and player salary
0: yeah I mean it is I don't think there's any doubt about that and you know our system is well entrenched and has been for you know for decades um, it's not a, a unique system in world sport but there's no doubt that it you know, we're in a position where I don't necessarily think our system encourages innovation, um, mm. the, the capping of the, the salaries is, um, is something that, you know, the clubs know, um, the capping of the, what the clubs can spend on non-player wages through the soft cap, you know, it, 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 I think it does actually restrain the innovation in the industry. And I think it's something that our industry should continue to talk about, um, You know, there are always priorities when you're bargaining and we've had some priorities and one of them has been to make sure that if we have got a cap system, then the players are getting a share of the revenue and that's been obviously a a win for us over the last seven or eight years uh, and continuing to make sure that that the players are getting a fair share of what they're generating for the industry. That doesn't mean that this is the system that's in place forever though.
1: All right, you guys are going to stick around, which we appreciate. So, joining us live in the studio, Paul Marsh and Tony Clark, I guess.
2: Breakfast on SEO. Paul Marsh is
1: with us live in the studio, joined by Tony Clark, who's the MLB Players Association Executive Director. So many questions. Um, We're not going to get through them all, and appreciate those sending them through off the timber text. But just just quickly, Tony, tell us about the Otani uh, Otani deal. Like with this 700 million US deal, where he's going to be paid three million a year for for 10 years, and then the rest later. What what's the reaction to that
2: been? And can you give us an insight? It is a a unique contract structure, Uh, and interestingly enough, every time we sit down to collective bargain. Uh, the, the the league, uh, more so, I think, than the teams, uh, attempts to restrict the flexibility teams have and, and players and their individual representation have to construct a contract in the way that you saw with Otani. Uh, and so uh, with that one, he's obviously a very unique uh, player. Uh, he is one that has uh, a very tangible... Uh, he has a very tangible leverage in the, in the conversation when he engages teams. He has his own interests individually as, as well. Uh, and so the, the construct of, of his contract is unique. And one of the positions that, that we will always take uh, in regards to player contracts is, one, give the, the clubs as many tools and the players as many tools as possible to, to, to st- construct that contract, but also not be in a, a position where we're, we're telling clubs what to pay uh, uh, an individual player or, or, uh, a group of players. And so, um, again, it's, it's a historic contract. I don't know that too many others, because he he is a bit of a unicorn are going to be able to follow it, but, uh, he determined that, that pushing out $680 million to, 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 uh, uh, some of his later years, uh, was important to him. Um, and so, uh, uh, that combined with with what he is undoubtedly earning off the field, uh, separate from his contract, I have a feeling even if he's he's making uh, a couple of million dollars a year, he'll mm. he'll be okay.
1: <laughs> you you alluded to the information that you, that you have on clubs, mm. but I understand the wealth of the owners and and all of that. But when you're paying one player that amount of money, you've still got the rest of your roster to fill. I mm. mean, is it profitable for clubs? Are they are they all successful? Are they all making money?
2: Yes, they are doing quite well. Uh, <laughs> and uh, even some of the, the lowest payroll teams uh, find themselves um, doing extraordinarily well uh, on paper or otherwise. Uh, and so that combined with what being one of, in our industry, there's 30 teams, being one of 30 teams. And we were talking about this during the break. Uh, means that just by living and breathing, uh, those clubs and the value of those clubs are increasing uh, uh, exponentially each year. And so Mm. whether it's the franchise values themselves, and as everybody knows from a business context, you have an opportunity against the backdrop of that valuation to to take on debt if you decide to and and build up other forms and and avenues of, of revenue generation, which our clubs are doing. Uh, and or if there's a a desire to put butts in the seats and and perform admirably on the field, another avenue by which to to generate revenue. And all of those things uh, are a part of our system at the moment.
3: Moving towards more of a plays association topic, obviously you've come out, we've spoken about women's sport, Paul. What's been some of the biggest takeaways you've had over your discussions now about where we can get with growing female sport? Obviously the CBA was a step in the right direction, a lot of growth still to go. What kind of things were discussed
0: well, there's been heaps um maybe the theme if i would start with that has been you know women's the the, the governing bodies running the sports need to invest For growth rather than wait for it to grow before you invest. And I think that's been a problem in in our country across a number of our sports. Um, A real belief in, in what's there. We've talked a lot about the athlete welfare as well. And I think, you know, a lot of our female athletes are juggling dual careers and that's really challenging. So we've got a good sense of that, but also talked about some of the success stories. You know, we've case studies on the Matildas, for example. So it's been, uh, it, it's been a, a good week with a real spotlight on, on what's happening around women's sport and how we keep pushing it forward.
1: Where are we at with the, a mid-season trade?
0: Uh, well, as you know, we agreed to that in the CBA. So it's really sitting with the, the AFL. Our, our players are, are up for it. Uh, I'd, my sense is that the AFL won't bring it in this year, maybe next. Uh, there's a lot to work through. So we've agreed to the concept of it. We haven't agreed to the detail of how that might work. So I'd be surprised if it comes in this season. But, um, yeah, shouldn't be too far away. Uh,
1: what did you make of the, the, the latest allegations against Taryn Thomas, Paul? And what's your role in that?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's hard to talk too much about it. I think we all need to let the process play out. So there will be an integrity um, interview at some point. Um, And, you know, we will go from there. I think everyone needs to just um, take a step back on this and and let it play out. Because, as always, there's two sides to every story. So, um, you know, we'll be supporting in the background like we do with all of our members.
1: Is it different when there's such a long history, though?
0: Well, I think... We've dealt with the history and we are where we are and i think we now need to work through um, this set of allegations and as i said there's two sides to every story mm. all right a couple more tricky
1: ones coming your way you've been good enough to hang around until after the news headlines so more with paul and tony after this tony clark is with us live in the studio the mlb players association executive director more with tony shortly just a couple of other ones for, for, for you, Paul. I get really annoyed about the perception. You get perception. annoyed about a lot of things. Kevin. I do, I do. I don't want to always be the bad guy. But I get really annoyed that there is a perception from the average footy supporter or public that our players all engage in illicit drugs. I know that's a sweeping statement, but that there is a perception that whatever percentage it is, but it's a high one, that there's a serious issue. Does it bother you as much as it bothers me? And I know we've spoken about this before, but can more be done?
0: Well, to your first question, I mean, look, this is just a reality of a high-profile sport and a high-profile group of athletes. People are going to speculate about what's going on. We know illicit drugs is, a, is an issue in our society. Our athletes are a subset of that. So, you know, we know that there's, there's some issues. We do a lot around this. Um, we're reviewing our illicit drugs policy with the AFL right now, and I'd expect that we'll have um, a revised policy in place by the end of this year. So we, we keep you know continue to try to make it better. Um, Mm. But we'll continue to focus on it being a wellbeing model for our players. And I think our our players, despite some of the, you know, the headlines and all the rest of it, um, I think are a really solid set of citizens, both groups. And, um, you know, they do so much right. And we always focus on the few small things that go go wrong. But when you take a step back, we don't have that many issues on an annual basis in any of these areas that we talk about. There's always a few, Mm. um, but, you know, I think at times we can overreact and then start to, you know, make, you know, wild assumptions about where the whole playing group's at.
1: No, I agree with that. Uh, but how damaging is a, is a situation like Joel Smith where a, a player could think to allegedly or, or rightly engage in, in that a couple of days out or a day out from a game? And, and what is the latest there
0: with him? I mean, obviously that's going through a process with, with Sports Integrity Australia at the moment. So I'm not going to get into, you know, where it's at. That will play out. Um, there's a gray area across two codes here. Um, mm. illicit drugs policy is very much a, a wellbeing model, but, um, if a player tests positive, uh, that shows up on game day, obviously the wider code comes in. So I think, you know, the concern for us is with Joel and his wellbeing and obviously we're throwing our support around him and, and we would with any
3: player that might be in that situation. To piggyback that Tony we we subscribe our players in the AFL to an illicit drug policy as well as the wada code in America wada code isn't applied to players what's the decision making and thought process around that
2: for for us it was <clears throat> excuse me it was the the value inherent in collective bargaining and so for us being able to sit down at the collective bargaining table uh, with the league and, and our experts, particularly in this particular area, our experts and the league's experts, uh, and and collectively bargain over a a, a policy, uh, whether it is a, a drug policy or whether it is a a, a, um, a treatment policy or whether it is a, meaning a performance enhancement or a treatment policy or whether it is uh, as a part of of uh, domestic violence, all of those things to be able to sit down in the room and. and and again with our experts in tow, uh, negotiate over a a program uh, that we believe is is, um, one of the best out there, uh, is the value of collective bargaining in and of itself. And so uh, there are certain fundamentals uh, attached to that that are likely fundamental across any drug testing program, Uh, but in in sitting down in a a way that uh, you're able to to not just negotiate uh, the, the baseline and each of the, the, uh, the things associated with it, but do so, as as Marci just mentioned, annually, being able to, a, a little bit different than and separate from the collective bargain agreement that may be over four, five, six years, however many years, being able to negotiate the terms and conditions of a drug program that oftentimes has new drugs becoming evident and perhaps new testing uh, that can be more powerful and, and better situated. Being able to adjust and adapt uh, accordingly is beneficial.
1: Both of you have been so generous with your time. We appreciate you stopping by. We'll let you go. Fascinating stuff. Tony, to you, uh, welcome. I hope you enjoy your stay and thanks for your insights this morning. And Paul, as always, we'll catch up throughout the year, but we appreciate you stopping by.
2: Thanks, guys. Thank you.
1: Paul Marsh, the AFL Players Association CEO, and Tony Clark is the MLB Players Association Executive Director joining us live in the studio. If you've got a thought on any of that, let us know. 1-300-736-736.